The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Hello, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Today in the studio, we have a very special show planned for you. We have a bit of a theme going on, actually. We have two guests who um, were very scientific professionals, but have now completely dove into their passion for the arts. Our first guest is Dr. Mark Sadowski, who is a retired professor and was also Director of Educational Research at Texas A&M Health Science Center College of Medicine, and who has now turned into a landscape photographer. And we talk a bit about what inspired him to chase after landscape photography and also one of his most prized moments visiting a national park. So stay tuned for that. And our second guest will be Colleen Bradfield, who was actually a chemistry teacher turned into a painter. And um, we talk about uh, her influence and her love for Florida, her state, and uh, how she uses chemistry in her paintings, not only through the imagery, but also through the mixing of different paints. So stay tuned for that. And now for our announcements, we have the theater company will be presenting Who's Holiday? And this is a wildly funny and heartfelt comedy that is uh, unfortunately only for adults. Um, but this will be a one-woman show, a super fun and funny show, and will be presented by Adrian Dobson, who is actually the artistic director there at the theater company. So uh, it's going to be a great time. And if you have time, there's a showing tonight, uh, December 17th at 7 p.m. or tomorrow, uh Sunday, uh, December 18th at 7 p.m. All right, and for our second art announcement, I have uh, my email is theheartofart at tamu.edu if you know of any artists or any art events going around town that you would like to see featured on the show. So please email theheartofart at tamu.edu. All right, let's begin my interview with Dr. Mark Sadowski. Today in the studio, we have a very special guest. Uh, they are a retired professor here from Texas A&M and was once the director of educational research in the Texas A&M Health Science Center College of Medicine. Uh, but now they are a photographer and they like to um, capture immense earthly structures and they're amazing. And his name is uh, Dr. Mark Sadowski. So hi, Mark. How are you today? Hi, Hector. I'm fine. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you so much for stopping by. Um, I heard you were also a winner recently, first place in the semi-professional division in the Visual Arts Society, so congratulations for that. Thank you. All right, well, um, to start off, I like to go through the background of my guests and seeing where their love for art began. So I saw that uh, 
you, a lot of your education was from Southern Connecticut. Is that is that correct? Yes, uh, my undergraduate and uh, master's degree were from Southern Connecticut State University, and I received my PhD from the University of Connecticut. Awesome. And uh, was this where your interest in photography started in Connecticut? Uh, yeah, actually, my interest in art in general um, started quite young. Um, when I was young, seven, eight, nine years old, uh, I uh, exhibited some talent for freehand drawing. Oh, really? uh, yeah, I drew a lot. And my parents, who really could not well afford it, um, got me private art lessons uh, a couple of days a week. And I learned a lot about drawing and painting there. Um, I had four years of art in high school. Uh, and then when I went to college, um, I did not major or minor in art, but I took enough art courses so that I had the equivalent of a minor in art, including courses in design, painting, ceramics, and so on. So my formal background in the arts is um, pretty broad. I picked up photography uh, in college. Uh, it, was, it gained a lot of popularity at the time. And um, I that was film days and uh, black and white film and uh, had experiences of my own little dark room that I had in my apartment and uh, got involved in photography that way. Later, um, I switched over to color slides and uh, because there was a local club that had color slide competitions. Mm -hmm. And I actually won some awards there and did pretty well in color slide competition. Um, I guess a defining moment in my uh, interest in photography came in 1970 when um, I met the great landscape photographer Ansel Adams. Hmm. He uh, had an exhibit of his works at the, the uh, Yale Art Gallery in New Haven, Connecticut. And being interested in photography, I went down to see it and uh, fortunately uh, met Ansel Adams there. Um, hmm. He was just kind of standing at the opening of the place, and I guess I was early because uh, he came over and said hello and, you know, come right in, and he was very jovial and very nice. It's not like we had a long conversation or anything. <laughs> but uh, the pictures there that I saw just were staggering. Um, it, you know, it, it was really kind of a, a career-altering sort of a thing or hobby-altering sort of a thing. I never had a career in photography. Mm -hmm. And I started taking landscape photographs after that and um, went on to, you know, work in color, color slides. And uh, that's how my interest in that began. Um, later on, a career and family and all that, uh, my hobbies got kind of put on the back shelf. Right. And it was later on um, when digital photography took over from film that I got back into it. And my interest in landscape photography uh, persisted, and I've been doing landscape photography as a hobby, kind of an uh, advanced amateur, I guess I'd call myself, ever since. Wow, awesome. So as the technology changes, then you're kind of growing with the technology as well, right? I did, but mm -hmm. I, you know, it was interesting to have experienced the old film and darkroom right. days, and then slides, and then... Uh, you know, much of what Lightroom and Photoshop do uh, today is sort of digital darkroom. Right. And that, that's actually a good way to describe it. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I love that your parents also were supportive in your art endeavors, you know, because that's something that I 
was not lucky enough to have. Um, but uh, yeah, I love hearing that you had that support from your family. Um, I was wondering when they're moving from Connecticut to Texas, how how did that happen? How, what, why did you move to Texas? Well, um, when I got my PhD from the University of Connecticut, um, I started looking for jobs in academia. And mm-hmm. Texas A&M was one of the prime jobs that year. And, and uh, I moved to Texas and been here ever since. Awesome. And um, was the what your possibilities of what you could photograph change because of the landscape change? I bet must be very different from Connecticut and here. Oh, certainly. Yeah. Um, and I can't say that I spent a lot of time taking pictures around here in Texas when I moved because, uh, again, it was a career and family, and um, I did not do a whole lot of photography. But there are. I mean, certainly the Big Bend is one location, right. which is very scenic, uh, and there's other places that around in Texas, some of the state parks, Caddo Lake is a big uh, draw for photographers. I haven't been there yet, but I'm planning on going there soon. Awesome. Um, and have you always had that inclination to um, photo- phot- photographing landscapes specifically, or was this something that you learned when you started photographing? Um. Yeah, the landscape stuff largely came from Ansel Adams and other photographers. Uh, perhaps I had an, an early uh, influence on that because uh, in my home when I was growing up, we had, as an awful lot of homes had, National Geographic magazine. Oh, yeah. And there's a lo- always plenty of uh, uh, landscapes and travel photography in there. Uh, and interestingly enough, uh, we had a subscription to Arizona Highways. Someone in the family had been out to visit a relative in Arizona and was impressed with it and subscribed. So I was looking at these wonderful pictures of the West and uh, Arizona highways, and uh, my father actually had done some amateur photography. I think we had Popular Photography magazine in the house for a while. So I grew up looking at a lot of you know National Geographic-type photos, Arizona highways-type photos, almost all of which was landscape and nature stuff. So that's probably where it came from. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I was actually going to ask uh, about your position here at A&M and how you were able to balance the work versus your art. Were you able to? Did you have to put uh, photography aside completely uh, until you found the time, or how did that work? Um, I can, When we took, my wife and I would take vacations. Okay. Uh, I remember we, um, I got some pretty good color slides in Yosemite National Park. Uh, Back when my wife and I were married, I took the cameras along on a trip we took out there. And, uh, but by and large, yeah, I did not pursue photography as a hobby very much during the early part of my career or even the middle part of my career. Um, Take pictures of family and, you know, kids playing soccer, you know, Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing. That's what happens and probably that's completely appropriate. Um, but um, I, I didn't lose my interest or love for it, and, and uh, I kind of kept up. Uh, later on when I got into it, I started taking workshops with photographers, which has been a very uh, you know, positive uh, development for me. I think the first workshop that I took was with a National Geographic photographer named Bob Christ, and just seeing his pictures and listening to his lectures about how he took them and then actually going out in the field and taking some pictures and having this guy give you pointers. Wow, that was a, a really interesting experience. To, um, and, and I've been going on photo workshops 
with uh, some fairly well-known landscape photographers since. Awesome. And do you have any, um, like, your favorite locations that you would, well, maybe you have visited a couple times? Yeah. Um, I guess the, I've been to a lot of different places, mm-hmm. but I guess the place that I've been to most is Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, the has, like, five national parks, all of which are just incredibly beautiful. Bryce Canyon, Canyonlands, Arches, um, Monument Valley is on the border of Utah and Arizona, which is another wonderful place to go and take pictures. So I've been to Utah a lot, but a lot of other places too. Um, been to Death Valley a couple of times, uh, the, uh, the uh, Oregon coast, the Washington coast. Uh, more recently, um, I was up on the Washington coast, Olympic National Park, and um, also Great Smoky National Park in Tennessee. So um, I've been, you know, getting around. But I guess a lot of my photography has been uh, places in and around national parks because they're national parks for a reason. There's just beautiful stuff there. Yeah, they want to keep that untouched by humankind. Um, What camera do you prefer to use? Because I know it doesn't matter what camera you use, but I wanted to ask if you had a certain preference and if you use drones, because some of the images appear to be from very high places and they capture the full immense wholeness of the place. So, yeah, what do you use to photograph? Uh, my cameras, I use Sony camera bodies and uh, Carl Zeiss lenses. Oh, okay. uh, Sony and Carl Zeiss have a, a cooperative agreement, and they build uh, lenses with has both the Zeiss badge and the Sony badge on them. Awesome. And they're terrific lenses. And uh, Sony, uh, because that's what I started with. Mm-hmm. Um, you find that with a lot of photographers. You get used to the software and their equipment, and you stay with them. But they're fine cameras. As are a lot of other cameras. I mean, there's, there's you know, uh, half a dozen, ten different really good camera companies that have really good lenses. And you just kind of pick one that has the most advantages for you or, in a lot of cases, the one you started with is the one you stick with. Right. You just got to work with different lenses. <laughs> um, and do you use a drone? Is, is that a thing or no? No, I haven't. Okay. Uh, I, ha- I haven't gotten into drone photography yet. Not sure okay. that I will. Um, if a lot of my pictures were taken from high places because I climbed up there. Okay, yeah, then it was very high places. Wow. (laughs) I would have been a little scared of that myself. Um, Do you still travel for photography now? I do. You do? I do. Um, Last year I had photo workshops in uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park and also in Olympic National Park. And so that was through last year. This year... Um, I'm going back to Death Valley in December, okay. and I, I'm actually already um, planning, haven't got anything firm yet, but my photo workshops for 2023. Awesome, awesome. And um, I was wondering what your artistic process was like exactly, or how do you, um, do you see something that you think might look good on camera, and how does that whole process work? Oh, you do. One of the things about landscape photography is um, you get to go to beautiful places and often at beautiful times. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the things that the workshop provides is guides to take you to these places and uh, get you there when the light is good, which typically is uh, dusk and dawn. Mm -hmm. That's when uh, landscape photographers are out the most. And The golden um, hour. Yeah, once you get there, then... um, 
you know, your eye for composition takes over. And a lot of my background training in art and you know, painting, and right. I certainly looked at a lot of pictures over the years and still do, that kind of takes over. The formal training helps, but just kind of knowing the kind of pictures that other photographers get helps a lot as well. That's kind of intuitive. So a lot of my compositions are intuitive. Um, I can't say that I plan a whole lot. You go to places and you start to look around and say, whoa, that caught my eye and that would make a really good picture. And a lot of times um, you're there before sunrise. So you wait and see if the light develops and what you get for clouds in the sky and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And Hector, it's just beautiful to be there yeah. Some of these places. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's cold. Mm -hmm. And some days it's even wet. Mm -hmm. But just to be out in nature in these beautiful places is um, quite a thing. Taking the pictures is almost gravy. Right. That's the easy part. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was actually wanting to ask you if you had any interesting stories about these places you've been to, whether it be close encounters that you've had with some fa fauna or maybe uh, some people that you've met along the way. Um, well, I have been on the workshops with a lot of very interesting people, uh, and uh, they're not exactly household names, but some of these people are uh, very accomplished photographers themselves, and um, sometimes they have very interesting stories. I, I don't know that I have a very interesting uh, tale to tell. A couple of the pictures that I've gotten were from uh, places where people don't go very often. Mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite pictures is from a place called False Kiva. And what the False Kiva is, is a place in Canyonlands National Park, which is in an alcove in the side of a cliff. Mm -hmm. Somewhere in ancient times, a ring of stones about eight feet wide was built there. Mm -hmm. I imagine this alcove or a little cave in the side of a cliff it's about as big as a two-car garage with this ring of stones in the middle of it. And if you stand in the back and look across that ring of stones, you get the most staggering panorama out there across Canyonlands National Park with all these mesas and, you know, the canyons down below. Wow. And But it's a little difficult to get there. You don't want to go there alone. A, because you get lost, and B, because you have to climb up the side of a cliff. Right. I was wondering how you get there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm making it sound worse than it was, but you but you actually do have to climb hand over hand. Wow. So usually you go there with a couple of people, and you, know, you take off your gear, and somebody climbs up, and then you hand up your gear, and then you climb up and you know get inside the alcove and just hope you get good sky, good light, uh, and that kind of thing. And... and uh, that's one place that I went, which was uh, a little bit risky, and few people go there and photograph that. I've had a couple of experiences like that, which I guess are highlights. Mm -hmm. Well, good thing you've come out alive and people can enjoy your work. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't. I, don't think, I wouldn't take really big risks, but um, again, going there with people who know how to get to these right. places and know the appropriate, you know, the proper safety uh, precautions, uh, that helps a lot. Right. Experienced individuals are always a good thing to have. Well, thank you so much for stopping by and thank you for your work. Well, thank you for having me again. And I uh, have loved every minute of it. All right, you guys, we will be going on a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We will be right back.
Support for KAMU comes from the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. Hello, welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. Now we will be going to revisit my interview with Colleen Bradfield, chemistry teacher turned painter. Hello, Colleen. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Hector, how are you? I'm doing good. Excited to have our conversation today. All right. Well, to begin, I'd like to start uh, where you are native to, your hometown. Uh, Do you have one? Well... I was born in Columbus, Ohio, but um, I have lived most of my life in the state of Florida on either the East Coast or the Panhandle of Florida. So right. I, I kind of consider myself a flexin because flexin. I'm Florida and Texas at this point. Right. Okay, so would you say that Florida is what has influenced your art mostly? or? Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. And in what ways would you say that it has? Um, Probably because I've lived so much of my life um, along the coastal areas. Um, I love the blues of the water and the greens, Um, especially Panama City area has the Emerald Coastline where um, the water can be very crystal clear and um, it's it's lovely. So blues and greens tend to end up in a lot of my paintings. Mm. Um, and also the sunshine. Um, Florida is the sunshine state. True. And true. Um, I even have my um, my email um, as Sunny, Sunny <laughs> SCB. For my I noticed initials. that. I was yes. wondering what that was. Yes. I love awesome. the sunshine. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. Um, and so as a child, I saw that you were into painting, drawing, and sculpting, correct? And then you took that into college? Yes, I did. Um, I basically followed my father to his alma mater, mm-hmm. um, Ohio State University. And um, I left there in my junior year um, for family reasons and um, changed majors, changed schools. Um, back in Florida, I was living in Melbourne, Florida, where Florida Institute of Technology was my option. All right. So I ended up uh, a science major. Falling in love with Chemistry, yeah. yes. Yes, okay. in fact, my career was teaching chemistry to students and um, also research. Awesome, awesome. Um, was it difficult trying to balance out the teacher life with your life as an artist? It was at times, especially once I had children. Um, But I've discovered that if you really want to do something, you find a way to manage your time. And um, so I think between being um, a teacher, a mother, and an artist, um, the artist ended up being the last on the list. All right. (laughs) um, But I did get things accomplished during the summer, usually, and uh, sometimes during some breaks. But um, it's not until retirement that I've been able to really devote myself Um, to becoming a professional artist. Right, yeah. And I've seen, I mean, you've thrown yourself to art. I mean, I feel like it encapsulates a lot of your life now. It does. Yes, I love that. It does. Um, So about your art, I saw that you were interested in the medium of, uh, sorry, I don't know really how to say this, encaustics? Is that correct? Encaustics. Encaustics. Oh, uh, I have. um, When you've been involved in art for so many years, you 
find yourself diversifying sometimes. Mm -hmm. And um, I really enjoy acrylic paints the most, but I have wandered off into other areas, um, sometimes sculpting with clay, uh, sometimes doing uh, acrylic pours or uh, resins. And of course, the encaustics is basically melted what you think of as a melted wax technique. Okay. okay. But, um, so I, I like to explore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw in your paintings, you see that uh, you have a focus of layers of colors and shapes. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. I was wondering whether this had any relation to do with your chemistry background, maybe? Because <laughs> I noticed in the Arts Council website, you have this beautiful uh, painting of deep blues, and there's so much depth in there. I, it kind of even resembled a little bit like a chemical reaction. even. <laughs> so I, I was just wondering whether chemistry had anything to do with your art. It, it actually does. Um, everything from some of the designs that I have done to um, some of my methods. Um, I even use pipettes at times to pipette and um, put different layers on and um, add different types of uh, just interesting everything from texture to uh, varying the appearance. Yeah, that's very innovative. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun. Yeah. Um, and now uh, more about like the content of your paintings. I see there's a lot of animals, uh, yes. a lot of zebras and birds. Um, yes. Maybe even like safari animals. I've seen elephants and rhinos. So why do you gravitate towards animals? Um, I've always had a love of the African animals. Um, and I was fortunate that some of my um, past students um, have spent a good deal of time over in Africa, um, in particular with the Peace Corps. And um, I've been pleasured to have some of them send me wonderful photographs to use uh, for inspiration. Um, along with just appreciating and having concern for um, what I would consider to be species of special concern or threatened or even endangered um, that you see uh, so much of in the animal world right now. Um, I also have a love of watching the shorebirds. And um, I think that that's another Florida influence because, you know, so much time on the beaches, you watch the birds. Definitely. <laughs> and, uh, so would you say there's like an overarching theme of conservationism within your work? Yes, I think so. Um, a recent exhibit that I was in um, was actually called Art from the Soul. And I think that um, that is really a big factor for me as an artist is to be able to not only share the joy of the painting um, and sculpting, but also to be able to have it reflect some of my... Um, my inner feelings and thoughts. Mm -hmm, right. So would you say you love the process of creating? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I enjoy the process of creating even more than I do the product. <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. I, I mean, I'm always happy when a painting or a sculpture turns out the way I like it or maybe other people like it. But it's the act and the process of the creation that to me is so fulfilling and so very therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to speak a little bit more about that process of creating and what it does to you personally. Um, what is your, the process that you take with it, your art? Well, I'm considered a very intuitive artist. Um, a lot of artists will say, well, especially people who are new to art, they're like, oh, I don't know how to get started. That's very seldom an issue for me uh, because of the way that I approach a canvas. 
it doesn't matter what I put on at the beginning. I just pick a color that happens to appeal to me, and I start putting on layers of color. And um, as I add those layers of color, sometimes there are images that appear. And if it's an image that I like, it pleases me, sometimes I leave it there. And sometimes I get so busy just mixing different colors that whatever was there, I don't know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> Completely changes, it, becomes it can, something different. It can. And then, um, but if I find something that I really see, an image that starts to appear, I mean, I, I have paintings that when I look at them, I realize, oh, there's an elephant. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, and then if I see something like that, then I continue. And um, sometimes I'll then go and look for a resource. And um, looking at that resource, then I end up sometimes having something that is very recognizable. It's not always exactly the way it should be, but it certainly is recognizable. Well, thank you so much, Colleen, for helping me out. I have learned a lot, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, you're very welcome. And I would encourage any artists that are interested in the Arts Council to come and become a member because it'll give them a chance to exhibit as well. All right, you guys, that is the end of our show. A big thank you to Dr. Mark Sadowski and Colleen Bradfield for being a part of this project. I know it is that time of year, so some of you might be already starting to celebrate something. So happy holidays if you are celebrating something this week. And make sure to tune in next week. I'm Hector Nino, and you've been listening to The Heart of Art, a production of 90.9 KAMU-FM. You can find all of our shows anytime at kamu.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu.